You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning. Happy New Year. And, um, you know, people just say Happy New, Happy New Year like, just because you have to say it. And I mean that. I, I really do hope and pray that we all have uh, a Happy New Year this year, that we all have a really good year in 2020. Um, on that end, though, I, I, I've been finding it kind of funny, maybe a little bit odd, uh, rather than reading people's posts on social media about how they're so glad and relieved 2019 is over so they can start anew, right? And, and if you posted that, I'm not making fun of you, but um, it's not like popping open some, some champagne or changing over the calendar has any effect at all on our lives or the state of our hearts and minds. It, it, really, it really doesn't. Uh, our issues or our circumstances aren't going to magically disappear like as soon as you turn the calendar, poof, right? Or put up a new calendar, I guess it would be. Th- th- things aren't going to get better all of a sudden just because it's a new year. And, and I'm not trying to dash anyone's hopes or dreams here. Um, not at all. But, but let's be honest. I, I like being realistic, I, right? So let's be honest. Let's be realistic. We all know deep down if, if, if we want things to be different or better or, or happier or, or healthier in our lives in 2020 compared to how they were in 2019, then the thing that needs to change is us, right? Not the calendar, not our circumstances even, not other people changing for us. No, us. And I'm talking about more than New Year's resolutions that only last a day and a half, right? I'm talking about actually developing and shifting our daily habits, our patterns of life, renewing our focus and our priorities, learning, getting more educated, right? Most of all, processing and dealing with, with, with the state of our hearts and, and our mentality and the things that we're struggling with. And I'm going to stop there because I'm not here this morning to give a TED Talk or, or a self-help motivational speech this morning. But, but, I, but I say all this to bring us to the point that I want to talk about today, which is that in order to change and grow, it does take effort. And it's a process that must be cultivated. More specifically, I know that many of us have been feeling spiritually dry or frustrated in 2019. In the same way, some of you have been feeling kind of this, this spiritual discontentment, maybe a dissatisfaction with the, the minimal state of your relationship with God. And, and maybe that's even created you a, a, a hunger for more of God or a desire to be nearer to God. And that's good. That's great. In most cases, when we're feeling that spiritual discontentment, that's actually the Holy Spirit drawing us back to the Lord. He's placing in us that hunger for him. But here comes the question. What are you going to do about it? When speaking on the, the subject of all the renowned men and women of faith over history, whether, whether biblical heroes or renowned Christians who followed faithfully after God, the late theologian A.W. Tozer notes, first of all, that, that all these, these men and women of faith were, were unalike in many ways in their temperaments, and their struggles, and the sins that needed forgiving, and their age, their, the culture they came from, their race, the, their education, and more. But, but he says this about what they had in common. 
these, these men and women of faith, what they had in common. He says, I venture to suggest that the one vital quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven. Something which urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall simply say that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it. They went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. They did something about it. So first of all, we we don't have to be someone special or perfect or specific. You don't have to be Peter or Paul to be close to the Lord. You don't have to be the pastor to be close to the Lord. God doesn't play favorites in that way. He lovingly draws each one of us to himself and saves us by his grace through the work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're already loved and accepted by his mercy and goodness. We're we're already invited into his presence and into deeper relationship with him. Everyone saved by Christ is equally adopted and loved as a son and daughter of God the Father, which means that the only difference between those that have a lackluster spirituality and those who walk in great faith lies with us. And whether we do something about it. So as we start the new year, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? My, my hope would be that, that we'd emulate the words of King David from Psalm 27, verse 8. When it says, you have said, seek my face. This is his response. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. God's calling us to seek his face, to know him, to see him to learn about him, to grow in the knowledge of who he is, to taste and see how good he is, to experience his redemption in in our lives, lived out, to be filled with his spirit, to, to live with an awareness and in the strength of his presence. He's talking to us. He's talking to you. So again, what will we respond? Will we respond to that incredibly miraculous and merciful invitation this morning, this week, this year? Let's not forget, and, and uh, Pastor Warner talked about this on Christmas Eve, that, that as Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the curtain in, in the temple, which had been there to, in order to separate sinful man from a holy God, that curtain ripped in two, signifying to us that the presence of God was now accessible to all who believed in Jesus by faith. Ephesians 3.12 it says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Boldly and confidently into God's presence. 
Wow. Is watching three hours of Netflix better than this? Is staring at our phones all day better than this? Is consuming whatever the world throws at us better than this? Because that's the method of, of, of the enemy, right? To give us as much distraction as possible and things to consume so that we forget or we neglect to seek the face of, this, of our Savior in our lives so that we don't depend on him, so we don't follow after him. But this year, let's not forget. Let's not squander this amazing reality, this truth that we have access through Jesus to approach the presence of God and live in the power of his spirit. Think about it. The God of the universe is calling us to commune with him and partner with him daily. That's crazy. That's incredible. Why do we... Why do we so easily deny this invitation from the moment we wake up in the morning? Why does the word of God sit on our shelf collecting dust? Why are our prayers so flippant and only appear when we need something? If I only talked to my wife when I needed something, that would be a pretty one-sided relationship, and my wife would feel pretty used, I think. In the same way, God wants us to know him, to dwell in his presence, not solely for what he gives, and he does give. Every perfect gift comes from him. All blessings flow from him. But he wants us to know us, know him because of who he is. He wants us to seek his face. I'm not talking about doing a a quick devotional and and prayer in the morning and then forgetting that God exists as we go about our day. As we read earlier, Tozer reminded us that life in Christ is a lifelong habit, a habit, a lifelong habit of spiritual response. It's to to seek his will, to, to listen and glorify him in every aspect and moment of our lives. It's all consuming. And this is likened to the, to the obedient life of Jesus, who was able to say with confidence in John 5.19, I assure you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. Right? So he sees what the Father is doing, and in seeing, he participates. And yes, he's Jesus, the, the Son of God, will never reach that kind of perfection, blah, blah, blah. But this same Jesus mediates between us and God, and he was perfect for us. And we don't have to wait till we're perfect anyways. It's, this is about being perfected, about being sanctified. It's about having that desire to seek the Lord in every aspect of our lives. Over the last couple of months and, and over the next couple of months, we'll be studying through the, the book of Daniel. And, and as we've been doing it, we've, we've seen him and his, and his friends continually live in obedience and in the power of God. And, and in their circumstance, that's incredible. The circumstance they're in, that's incredible that they're able to do that. Daniel specifically is a man of great faith, again, in the midst of sinful and, and corrupt Babylon. 
even in the midst of, of trouble and persecution, Daniel displays consistent humility and surrender and dependence on God's will. He hopes and trusts in it. How is he able to do this? Well, upon further investigation, we see that he's created daily habits and patterns of spiritual disciplines, consistently coming before the Lord in prayer, in study, in fasting, and worship. An example of one of these moments is, is one we've already read in Daniel 2, 17-23. So I'm not going to go in, in depth through it this morning. I'm just going to read it just as an, an example of, of what, what a person of faith coming before the Lord looks like. Of course, in, in this story in Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. No one could interpret it. He got angry, sentenced everyone to death. Daniel said, no, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you the dream. And this is what happens after that. Daniel 2, 17 to 23. It says, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So we see this example that Daniel steals himself away and joins with his friends, his companions, in order to seek the face of God and seek his mercy and seek his wisdom. And the result is that he's strengthened to walk in the ways and knowledge of the Lord, which causes him to respond with worship and thanksgiving according to who God is and what he does. And, and the impression that we get throughout the whole book is that this isn't just a, a singular moment where, where, where Daniel decided to pray to God only because he was having a hard time, because he was in trouble and needed something, like most of us tend to do. The assumption here is that this was a regular occurrence, a daily pattern for Daniel to spend time in prayer and worship. We can see his patterns of spiritual disciplines over and over throughout his life. And, and my plan is to discuss these spiritual disciplines in more detail next week. We're going to be, going to be jumping all over the book of Daniel looking at, at uh, spiritual disciplines. But today, my, my heart's plea as, as your pastor is for us, as the body of Christ, to simply respond to the call of God to seek his face. To recognize his call for you to seek his face. My heart's prayer is that the Spirit of God would ignite in us a passion and desire for God to move in our lives, for His will to be done, for His presence and His power to work in and through us for His good pleasure. Because the truth of the matter is that if our heart is not set upon seeking the face of God, we'll 
quickly run out of any desire to be committed to any spiritual disciplines, to, to be reading our Bibles or to be praying. We'll find it all exhausting work. And it's effort, but spending time in the presence of God shouldn't be work. But the truth is that this invitation from God is, at its foundation, not necessarily easy. It's a call to daily surrender, to repent, to turn from our own ways and follow after him. And it's a process, and it takes time, and and, and we have to cultivate it. It's a call to turn from our, our sinful ways and worldly desires and to set our gaze upon the Lord. But this is what faith is. And this is where our desire from God comes from. From gazing upon the Lord. A.W. Tozer writes that faith, faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith is to look upon God alone. To steal away from every distraction and temptation. To remove any weight or selfish ambition that clings to us and keeps us from God so that we can set our hope and our trust in Him. So that we can live in this abundant life that He's given us. To contend for His will and His mercy to become manifest in our lives. And and look what happens when we do. The whole Bible is filled with verses about this. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Psalm 34, 4-5 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. James 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is a promise that comes from Jesus. And again, this faith, this ability to look to and know God was given to us as a free gift of grace by Jesus, who made this promise, who, as it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, is the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of our ability to gaze upon the face of God. And again, in Hebrews 7, 19, it says, a better hope is introduced. They're talking about Jesus, through which we draw near to God. Through Jesus, we can draw near to God. This is a gift. Let's not squander it. Jesus said, my my sheep will know me, will know my voice. But are we humbly and attentively listening? A.W. Tozer again writes, receptivity is not a single thing. Rather, it is a compound, a, a blending of several elements within the soul. It is an affinity for, a bent toward, a sympathetic response to, a desire to have. From this, it may be gathered that that it can be present in degrees, that we may have little or more depending upon the individual. It may be increased by exercise or destroyed by neglect. We'll read that again. It may be increased by exercise or destroyed by neglect. It is a gift of God indeed, but one which must be recognized and cultivated as any other gift if we, t- if we are to realize the purpose for which it was given. 
Last night, I, I played a game of soccer. I'm in the over 30 league, which, which is still pretty rough, actually. Like, people are, take it seriously. I don't know why. I do, too. Um, it's when you're in the moment, I guess. But anyways, I, at the end of the game, I felt like throwing up because we had a Christmas break three weeks between playing. I didn't exercise. I didn't do anything. I ate a lot of food, sat around, and... My, my, my ability to play a sport was destroyed by neglect. We need to cultivate. We need to, we need to exercise our spirit, our minds. But this word, this word cultivate is becoming a foreign concept in, in, in our consumer culture, right? We, we all know that. We like things to happen now. But that's not how the heart is formed. That's not how sanctification in our lives works. It's a slow process, a process of chipping away and, and reforming, a process of learning and growing and training and digging deeper in his word as we come nearer to the Lord And I'm not saying nearer in distance, for his presence is always with us. But in knowledge and relationship and in authority. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Our faith and our seeking of God is something that, that needs to be cultivated through, through prayer, through worship, through the reading of his word, through sacrifice, and even through suffering. And as it is cultivated, it directly corresponds to the way in which we live our daily lives in dependence on him and how we prepare our hearts for what's to come and what God's going to do. And my concern is that if we don't cultivate a life of seeking and contending for God's face, we'll squander our very purpose as the church. What I mean is that historically, God brings revival or, or renewal upon a generation in, in times of turmoil or transition, which I, I would argue, as many do that, that this is the type of culture we're living in right now. We're in this time of transition, a time of turmoil. And on the same, on the same note, every revival can be traced back to a small group of people in, in the midst of uh, transition and turmoil, this faithful remnant, as they're often called, who, who fervently sought after God in prayer for years even. And this is the calling of the church today. This is the time that we're in. We're called to be that faithful remnant contending for God to move in this place, in this city, in this world. 
And in the same vein, as we continue to study through Daniel, we, we see that same type of pattern playing out. Right? We'll find that God's people were handed over as exiles into Babylon as a form of discipline. They're in this time of transition and turmoil. But God used that time of transition and turmoil as a way to call his people back into a dependence on him. And then following that to create a time of renewal. A time of renewal which was prophesied prophesied beforehand by Jeremiah. A time when the temple would be rebuilt. In other words, when the presence of God would dwell in the midst of them once again. And when his people would repent and turn their hearts back to his law. And you can read all about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And though Daniel himself never got to experience that renewal, he was chosen and called to be a remnant of God's law and glory in the midst of a sinful people to prepare for that time. And as I said before, I believe God's setting us up for a time of renewal as well. And on that end, I strongly believe and, and have been sensing, and I've said this before, uh, I've been sensing along with the many other pastors in Lethbridge and, and across the world even, that we're in a time of preparation and, and, and a time of cultivation for this. So, so whether or not we, we get to see that, that great renewal or move of God in our time, or whether we're called to be like Daniel, called to prepare the way for the next generation of believers to experience that awakening. I can't say. God's, we can't make that happen. God's timing will be perfect in that, so I'm not worried about it. But what I can say is that God's calling us to seek his face and prepare our hearts for whatever's coming. To be a remnant of his light and his gospel and the gospel of his kingdom. That he's calling us to turn from our sinful patterns of the world around us and rather to cultivate our faith and contend daily and sacrificially for his will and glory and purpose to work out in and through his people. He's calling us to lay down our lives so that we can partner with him in what he's doing and what he's going to do. Or as it says in Romans 12, 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to contend for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven to surrender our lives to him so that he can work in us and through us to seek his face and this is this is one of the reasons why we started our monthly prayer nights at the gate a couple months ago. We've, we've been sensing that growing desire to seek God's face and to follow after him and to surrender to him. But regardless, as the body of Christ, we're always being called to cultivate a life of prayer, worship, and sacrifice to God. To, to humbly surrender to his perfect will. To allow him to prepare our hearts and minds for what he wants to do in us now and in eternity. As Mark Sayers writes, 
Renewal comes when we choose to walk the one true path. When we step into the freedom of following. When we step into the posture of contending. We choose to stand in the place of transformation rather than accumulation. The posture of contending flows from the truth that there is a a great divine drama at play. There is far more than just stuff. God invites us to partner with him, contending and centering our lives around his mission in the world. This is a truth that is not just affirmed. It is walked out. The amazing thing is that the more we look to God, the more we'll walk it out. The more we look to God, the more we see our true selves, our brokenness, our weaknesses, and our sin. And yet the more we'll understand and desire his mercy and love for us. The more we look to God, the more we'll see the purpose that he has for us. And in the same way, we become even more thankful for his grace and filled with an even deeper awe that God would even desire to dwell with us and perfect us and that he died for it. Jesus died for our sin so that you can dwell in the presence of God, so that you can partner with him and his divine purpose. Think about how awesome that is. If you're feeling spiritually dry this morning, seek the face of God so that he can breathe on those dry bones and bring you back to life. If you're feeling bogged down or or burdened by the cares and anxieties of this world, seek the face of God. For as Jesus said, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Be still and know that he is God. If you're feeling spiritually discontent or or hungry for more of God, then seek the face of God. He's drawing you into his divine purpose. On that end, I want to take a, a quick second to note that one of the dangers of, of spiritual discontentment or dryness, however you want to call it, one of the dangers besides becoming apathetic or making excuses or whining about it, is to blame other people for the way you're feeling. I hear this all the time. We start blaming other people. Like maybe we have the tendency to blame, blame the worship leader for picking the wrong songs or or for not repeating them enough. Or we blame the the pastor or we blame the church for not being more spiritually receptive on your behalf. But that's all ridiculous. That's stupid. And if I can be frank, which I'm going to be this year, just a, a warning... Blaming others for our lack of spirituality is more a sign of us being influenced by our self-entitled and consumeristic culture and sinful nature than it is a sign of spiritual fervor or longing for God, no matter how we try to spin it. And certainly Christians should stand in the gap and intercede for one another in prayer. We should, we should and we need to encourage one another to walk in faith. We can and we should gather together and, and contend for God as the body of Christ. But when it comes down to it, no one can make you seek the face of God. No one can make you read your Bible. No one can make you pray at all times. That's between you and God. 
I can't do that for you. We each need to take ownership and responsibility for our own relationships with God. And not only for our own benefit, but also for the health and purpose of the whole church, the whole body of Christ. So I want to I say again right now, as I said at the beginning, God's calling us to seek his face. What are you going to do about it this year? How are you going to respond to that call? Same old as 2019? Or are you going to respond by saying, My, your face, Lord, do I seek? I'm going to finish with Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, which calls us into this life of seeking and responding to God. It says, so then, with endurance... Let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's throw off any extra baggage. Get rid of the sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Let's seek his face. Let's pray. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet you came to dwell with us. In your life, you lived a life, perfect life we couldn't live. In your death, you paid the penalty of the sin that we couldn't pay. And in your resurrection, you brought us into eternal life. You opened the way for us to, to come boldly into the presence of God. Thank you for your grace and for, for the love with which you've poured out upon us, Lord. Thank you for the gift that you've given us to gaze on the face of God. Lord, I pray that we would not squander that gift. That you would ignite in us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a passion to chase after you, to follow after you, to surrender to you. To step into that freedom of following and trusting and knowing that you've called us to partner with you in your divine purpose. That you desire to work in us and through us for your good pleasure. Lord, I pray that, that this year we would be a people that contend for you. That seek after you. That we would cultivate patterns of prayer and worship and, and, and the reading of your word. And that as we do, you would change us. That you would mold us. You would sanctify us in your image. And that we, we could be that remnant, that people 
that proclaim your name and your light and your kingdom in this broken world, Lord. Prepare us for what's coming. Pray that you would help us remove any any distractions, that you would draw us to repentance, that we would turn our eyes off of worldly things, that we would be able to, to lay our sin down at the feet of the cross, that you would remove any burden or weight that we're carrying this morning, Lord. As the song said earlier, you, you break every chain. So break every chain this morning so that we can run the race set before us. So we can soar on wings like eagles and not grow faint. Lord, let, us, let this year be a year that we seek your face. Let this be a year that we, that, that as you work your will, as you stretch out your hand, that we would be able to walk boldly in it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.